to save us in the midst of our sin. So we pray for those men and those women involved, Lord, but we also pray for First Light Ministry and for those that are um, working in that ministry. God, we pray that uh, that you would bring health to that organization and in so far as it is needed for resources and uh, financial donations, Lord, we pray that, uh, Lord, that you would just work mightily in, uh, in your kingdom to bring people that would help that ministry financially so that they can continue to sustain that ministry. Lord, we're grateful for that team. And we're grateful that you are the healer who heals all sin. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good evening, church. It is good to be together today. I am, uh, I don't know, I am just especially grateful for the family of God this evening. Um, Tonight we're going to be continuing our series, Visible, on the life and ministry of the church. And, you know, as I was prepping uh, this week. I I don't know how many of you guys keep up with this sort of thing, but um, there have been several articles that have come out over the last few months about some of the persecutions that our brothers and sisters, specifically in China, experience. And this last week, one of the largest remaining churches in kind of the urban center of China in Beijing is a church called Zion Church uh, that was shut down. Um... And it, and it comes after a long battle back and forth uh, with, with their government about what is and isn't appropriate for a church to be able to do. And so they had demands on them to uh, place uh, government-controlled security cameras around their meeting space so that uh, people who attended could have their faces recorded. And um, they had requirements to keep out children, anyone under 18, into Uh, post uh, banners, uh, essentially giving disclaimers to the actual truth of the message they were proclaiming for potential visitors and all these sorts of things that they refused. um, And eventually that culminated in the government um, showing up in the midst of their gathering and shutting them down and confiscating all their materials and, and all these different things, harassing church members. And their response It's just, well, that's okay. We don't actually need the space. We'll just go break up into groups and meet in parks around the city. And so they did. They said, that's fine. We don't have to be an official organization. You can take away our our credentials uh, to rent a facility and meet. And they just have continued to gather and continued to be the church without any of uh, the societal benefits or protections they potentially could have had. What, what a testimony. And I think, by the way, that that is really immediately applicable to our actual discussion. You know, we, we've, been, we've been saying in this series this idea that the church, what we as, as the, the gathered people of God, we exist to make the gospel of Jesus visible to the world. Right? Like, when, when we received salvation, if you were in Christ... God didn't choose to just stick his vacuum cleaner out of the clouds and suck you up immediately into heaven and into eternity. He left you here. And he didn't just leave you here, but he actually gathered us together. And we have these rituals and these schedules and these things we do in this this word. And the whole reason for that 
is that we are surrounded by lostness. Our world is dead and dying. We are surrounded by people, people made in the image of God, people precious to their creator, who if something doesn't change in their life, the the trajectory of their life is going to put them face to face with the wrath of a just God. And as the scripture says, that is terrifying. But God's not content with that. He's not content with people he made, who he loves, who are precious to him, to just blindly walk into their own destruction. So instead, he leaves us here. He establishes this, this thing called his church, to to go into the world and make the gospel visible. Because here's the thing, guys. Jesus isn't hanging around flesh and blood right now, is he? You know, 2,000 years ago, if you wanted to, and you had, if you had the ability, you could have gone and met God. He was hanging out, eating meals, doing stuff. But he's not physically here right now. His work, his kingdom is invisible, as he said to Pilate. So how will they know? How will they know? The answer is the church. You and I, our little family, and thousands upon thousands of little and large families just like it around this world, across denominational and cultural and ethnic lines. God's people gathered together, making the gospel visible. We spent a week and we talked about the idea that that the church is Jesus' plan A, that it's actually precious to him, that it's it's actually important to him. We talked about the words of the ancient creed, how how, how the church of Jesus is holy, that, that something about those who are in Christ are set apart from the rest of creation. We talked about how the church of Jesus is Catholic. It's, it's, it's universal, right? Not, not Roman Catholic. There is, there's, there's one church regardless of denomination or style or preference. There are those who are in Christ and those who aren't. There, there's one Catholic church, Catholic meaning universal. And we talked about how the church is apostolic, meaning that you and I, 2,000 years later, have inherited the exact same gospel message that Jesus handed down to his apostles on that mountain 2,000 years ago. That generation by generation, faithful sent Christians have proclaimed the same gospel. There's no telephone game involved. That the message of Jesus God in flesh who lived the perfect life and died an unjust death and rose supernaturally from the dead and ascended into heaven and will return to judge and restore all things. That message has been faithfully handed down for generations from Jesus on that mountain to the apostles all the way to you and I. Dang. I mean, come on. We, we talked about this idea that the church the church's proclamation of the gospel happens both in word and in deed. How how we are people of this word. 
that, that God has made himself known through his scripture, and that is the primary way through which the gospel is proclaimed. So if we, the church, are the gospel made visible, then we had better be drenched in this thing. It better come out of our mouths. It better flow around in our minds. It better wander around our homes and our dinner tables. But the gospel is not just words, as Paul said to the Corinthian church. It is action. The gospel is power. So the gospel is proclaimed through the church in word and in deed. And we talked about one of the most basic ways the church does that through the observance of the ordinances by, by being obedient to follow Christ in these, these ritual acts that, that, that proclaim the gospel through deeds, through baptism and through communion. We talked about that, but we know that it also expands out so much more than that. That when we live this holy and set apart Jesus-y kind of lives, It puts teeth to the gospel message that we're proclaiming. And so tonight, we're going to be talking about the church in light of two of its major functions. And that is this, the church gathers and the church scatters. Both of these are absolutely vital to the functioning of the church and and to accomplish our purpose of making the gospel visible. So so turn with me to Acts chapter 13. We're going to read a really short little story today. I've been eagerly anticipating this one. It's going to be good. Acts chapter 13, starting in the first verse, the 13th chapter of the Acts of the early church, we read this. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. In this, beloved, is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Jesus, tonight, as we take a few moments to just meditate on and discuss your will for your people, your will for us as your people, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just be with us. Make yourself known. Speak powerfully through the text. Holy Spirit, convict us, draw us to truth, remind us of things we've forgotten, and encourage us, Jesus. Encourage us to to, to actually walk in you. Let us leave here tonight, not having having heard cool songs and, and heard a good talk, but let us leave tonight having heard from and met with you. We need you to do this work, Jesus, so we pray it in your name. Amen. All righty. So this is a relatively short story, kind of smack dab in the middle of Acts. By the way, we're actually going to be jumping into a verse-by-verse study of Acts in like three weeks. So sometime, I don't know, maybe like April. I don't actually know. Sometime in the future, we'll get back to this passage, and you guys, 
you guys will be on the up and up. So you're actually allowed to skip that week if you want to. I'm just kidding. That's actually not true. <laughs> but, but we will come back to this because we're going to be going through the Gospel of Acts as our, as our next series. But, but what I'd like to do today for our purposes um, is, is, is kind of use this story as a little bit of a structure, kind of in context, to help us talk about that bigger idea of the church gathering and the church scattering. We're going to focus on each of those two aspects of church life and kind of look at a text that kind of goes with them. And I think that's going to land us in this place of just some, just some clear conviction for the life of following Jesus. And then we're going to end our time out with prayer and communion. So, so, so what's the actual story here? We're, we're zooming in to one specific meeting in this church at Antioch. You can, you can read all about this church in kind of the couple chapters leading up to this text in Acts. This church rose to prominence early on. See, what happened was after Jesus and the ministry of the church started, it really rose to prominence. The church in Jerusalem was kind of the church. Now, Jesus had told them to spread out and go share the gospel, but as I'm sure you guys know, church people are kind of just bent towards comfort and, and not doing that. I don't know if that resonates with you, but it definitely resonated with the church at Jerusalem because God was doing amazing things and people were getting saved, and Jesus had said, hey, leave and go share the gospel, and the church in Jerusalem was just kind of like, nah, I'd like, I like church here. I like church in Jerusalem. It's really cool. There's lots of people. And so they just didn't do anything until a persecution broke out. That is the way to get people on mission, apparently, is just to start persecuting them. That's a, probably a discussion for a different day. But the persecution breaks out in Jerusalem through this man named Saul of Tarsus, and the church ends up spreading out, and the gospel actually begins to go out and spread over the course of the Roman Empire. One of the first churches outside of Jerusalem to rise to prominence authority was this church in Antioch. And as this church began to grow, the church in Jerusalem sent this man Barnabas. They said, look, go check out this church. Make sure they're preaching the right gospel. Make sure they're good. Make sure they have good leadership. And so Barnabas travels from Jerusalem to Antioch and visits this church and goes, man, this church is growing and exploding. This is amazing. We need more help. And so he travels off and finds this guy named Paul formerly Saul, who started the persecution that caused the church to leave Jerusalem. But he finds this guy, Paul, and brings him back, and they kind of co-lead this church, and they end up, as we saw in our text, raising up internally a group of leaders, of prophets and teachers who were kind of functioning as elders in this early, early influential church. Now, in our text, we zoom into one specific meeting of this church. And if you look at verse 2 here, it kind of lists off all these leaders. Here's some prophets. Here's some teachers. It lists them off. And then it says, as they were meeting. And as you initially read that, you probably just kind of assume, like, oh, this is zooming in on an elder meeting, right? Like, this is one of their leadership meetings. But actually, our English they there is actually telling us that this is a gathering of the church. This is the whole of the body. The leaders are there leading them in a time of prayer and fasting and worship. Now, this story couldn't be much simpler. <laughs> a church gathers together. Their leaders lead them in prayer and fasting and worship. 
They hear from the Holy Spirit that they need to set aside a few of their people and send them off into the mission field. So they finish their prayer and fasting and worship, and when they're done, they commission these two men to the ministry that they're sending them to, and then they send them, and the story's over. If you were to keep reading through Acts 13, you would find that that mission Paul and Barnabas were sent on was the first great missionary journey, the first recorded international missionary endeavor where Paul and Barnabas spent literal years traveling across the Roman Empire by foot and by ship and planting dozens of churches throughout cities, throughout large parts of the northern part of the Roman Empire right above the Mediterranean Sea. If you want more information on this, uh, you can read Acts 13 and then go read Galatians. That's a letter that Paul wrote to this network of these churches that they helped plant a very short time later. This is one of, one of the most important missionary endeavors in church history that, that moved the needle, moved the gospel outside of the realm of Jerusalem in its immediate vicinity, and more importantly, outside the realm of Judaism. You see, this missionary journey was almost exclusively to Gentiles. Now, there were a lot of Jewish folk who came to Christ during this missionary journey, and you can read about that, and we will when we go through Acts. It's going to be a really cool time in the Word. But what you'll find is the faith was exploding amongst Gentiles. God was doing something new and something crazy. So the kingdom of God was growing in all these amazing and new ways, in part because of how God worked through the faithfulness of this local church and in those whom they sent. When it gets down to it, it's a pretty simple story. Pretty easy to see what's going on here. And I would say, apart from the, the fact that some of us are probably uncomfortable with the part where the Holy Spirit just spoke to the church and they were able to understand it and interpret it and act on it, apart from that, probably making some of us a little like, Ooh, what does that mean? It's, it's pretty straightforward. God's people gathered in worship and prayer. God spoke and they sent people to go do the work of the kingdom and they did and God blessed that work. The end. That's pretty much it, right? So, so what, do we, what do we actually do with this? I think, I think in this short little text, we see these two main functions of the local church. We see the necessity and power of the church gathered, and we see the importance and the weight of the church scattered. So, so let me take a moment to kind of think through both of these two kind of intricacies, and then we'll one at a time talk about kind of what they mean and connect them back to our story and then see how that kind of lands with us. So we'll talk about the church gathered. You cannot escape the fact that the literal word church, ekklesia in the Greek, means gathering. When we say church, we're talking about God's people gathered together. Gathering is at the absolute heart of what it means to be the church. You know, one of the most often quoted passages regarding church is really kind of appropriate to what we're talking about. I'm going to read for you from Hebrews 10. 
You can turn there if you want. This is verses 19 through 25, and I'm going to read it for you. Hebrews 10, it says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of our faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For, for he who promised is faithful. And, and read verse 24, church. Let us consider then how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. If you've been around church life for any amount of time, you've probably heard something similar to that closing phrase, right? Do not neglect the gathering. We usually jump straight to that part. Don't forsake the gathering. But, but look at the progression that the author of Hebrews uses. Look at this. Because we have the gospel, because we can commune with Jesus confidently, because in Christ we're made holy and allowed to enter into the holy places, essentially because we have the gospel, because we have what Jesus has done, let us draw near to him. Let us hold fast to his, to his promises. And then we get to the part about church. Let's stir one another up to love and good works. Don't, don't neglect gathering together, but instead meet and encourage one another. Do the above stuff, holding fast to Jesus and, and, and holding fast to the promises and drawing near and, and stir. Do that together is what the text says. The truth of the gospel and the goodness of Jesus is the reason why we gather. What we do, hear this, what we do when we gather is push each other deeper into the truth of the gospel. We, we stir one another up to good works and we encourage one another to hold fast to the promises of Jesus. And the author of Hebrews is telling us something wonderful here. You see, gathering together is an unavoidable part of who and what the church is. We are the gathered people of Jesus, but we are also gathered for purpose, to stir one another up, to, to grow in faith and dependence. Guys, to say it simply, we gather to disciple one another. Do, do you follow me on this? Discipleship, the life of Christ, the life of following after Jesus, of being a follower of Christ, is not a solo game. You can't do it on your own. 
You need brothers and sisters who will love you and care for you and challenge you and admonish you and encourage you to repent and grow and participate in the faith. Guys, we must gather if we are to truly make disciples and be discipled. Which gives us a very specific and powerful reason for our gathering. Hear this. The the purpose of our community, of our connection, of our gathering together is that the gospel of Jesus might be proclaimed in people's lives. Namely, our lives. The ones who are gathering together. And I want you to hear this, beloved of Jesus. When it gets down to it, the purpose of our gathering together, the purpose of our community isn't actually community in and of itself. You see, this is so easy to miss because when we're seeking after Jesus together and proclaiming the gospel into each other's lives and stirring each other up to love and good works and participating in the work of disciple making in the world, when we actually do that, we will build deep and life-changing friendships. And beyond that, we know that through Christ, we've been adopted into a new family. When we gather, we are gathering with our eternal brothers and sisters. It's, it's so easy for that beautiful experience of community to be so good and so life-giving in a specific context and at a specific time that we convince ourselves that that is the purpose of church. But the plain fact is it just isn't. The kind of community and wonderful connection that we get to experience in the family of Jesus is a pleasant byproduct of our real purpose, which is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus into each other's lives and hearts. This is why we must not forsake the gathering. It is the very lifeblood of the church to proclaim the gospel, to make Jesus visible, not just to the lost and dying world, but beloved of Jesus, to each other. And guys, don't don't miss me on this. When we commit to share time together, proclaiming the gospel into each other's lives, stirring one another up to love and good works, encouraging and admonishing and teaching and studying and praying and and all of these things, you will hear from God. You will grow in relationship and intimacy with God. I mean, look at Antioch. They, they gather to pray and fast and worship. What, what, a, what a beautiful example of what we're talking about. I mean, did they meet for other reasons? I'm sure. I'm sure that they met for meals and they met for games and they met just for fun and they met to help each other move furniture or whatever. But we're, we're shown in Acts 13 that they specifically met to pray and fast and worship to hear from the Spirit. What a, what a powerful testimony of the life of the church. I don't say this to make any of us 
feel shamed or guilted or like I'm doing a little pastor juke, but, but I think it's actually a beneficial just, just self-reflection. When was the last time you met with brothers and sisters in Christ that you gathered for the express purpose of just worshiping and praying and seeking to hear from the Spirit? Now, hopefully you're like, well, isn't that what we do every Sunday? Yeah. Yeah. But you guys know that in this larger group, and we have a, a program that we're working through, and, and it's, it's beautiful, and I hope that it connects you to what God is doing and saying in your life. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there is no experience like the experience of gathering with, with a smaller group of brothers and sisters and just seeking after Jesus together in prayer and worship in meditation and fasting. There is, there is power in that. So, what a beautiful invitation for us. Guys, we are a local church. Red Tree is a local church. There's nothing that sets us apart from the church like Antioch. We are invited to participate in the same sorts of things. Because when we gather, yes, we will build friendships, and hopefully those friendships will span lifetimes. But above all, my prayer, my hope, my desire, my intention when we design times and space to gather together is that we would proclaim the gospel into each other's lives. Beloved of Jesus, we must disciple each other. We must seek our God together. We must. This is, this is part of who and what we are. The church gathered together, making the gospel visible to each other. And as we see in our text, it does not terminate there. Let's talk for a moment about this idea of the church scattered. In the Acts story, we saw this amazing thing where, where, where their, their time gathered together actually led them to picking out some of their leaders to send off into the world. I mean, what a cool idea. Can, can you imagine for a moment if Paul was one of the preaching elders at your local church, like I'm not saying, I mean, I'm not saying I'm setting a standard. You're just going to never be satisfied with my preaching again, right? But, but, but just imagine if the apostle Paul was one of our preaching elders and he was up here sharing the preaching rotation. You, I mean, the dude who wrote Romans, right? Doing, doing the Sunday sermon, and one time when you're meeting, you're just like, you know, Paul's great, but we should just like send him away for years. Not because not he's terrible, but like, let's just, let's just send him to go, to go do this like a ton of other places. That sounds awesome. And they do. Open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read a longer passage to you. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 11. This is a longer chunk, but stick with me here. It says this, Therefore, 
Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died to all, that that those who, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you. We implore you. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Come on, church. I know that's a long passage, but I think even just listening, you get the thrust of it. Jesus has reconciled us to God. We are no longer counted according to our sin, but according to Jesus' righteousness. This is what it means to be in Christ. This is the amazing gospel message. This is what we're proclaiming when we are inviting each other into when we gather. This, This is it. This amazing message. That you don't have to be counted according to your sin, but you can be regarded according to Christ's righteousness. This is what we're about. But this message is not just for the church. And I mean, we know this. We were once lost. We were once dead in our trespasses. In our trespasses, someone brought us the message. The gospel message is for the world. It's for everyone. Someone came to us in our deadness when we were given over to the world and they proclaimed this amazing message that God wanted to reconcile us to him and all peoples to him through Jesus. And guys, hear this. You and I, those who are in Christ, we are the ambassadors of this message. We have been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. 
Guys, let me reread this phrase. God making his appeal through us. Do you hear this? The gospel message must be proclaimed amongst us. We must get, preach the gospel. We must gospel and disciple each other when we gather. But it cannot terminate upon us. It can't end with the people in this room. Guys, the gospel is for the whole world. We must scatter out and proclaim this message everywhere we go. We must scatter and make disciples of all peoples. We must send. We must leave our gathering and take the message to those who actually need it. Because the church at Antioch gathered. They sought the Spirit. They worshipped. They were, they were gospeling each other. And in that context, what did God tell them? Take your best and send them out into the lost and dead world. What a testimony to the power of God. They, they, they heard from God and he didn't speak into their individual holiness or their programming as a church or their church mission statement or the clarity of their vision or the quality of their communication or their strategy for the new year. He spoke and he sent their best out into the world to go and make more disciples. So, how does all this wrap back together? I think if we think on this for a moment. It probably makes sense to all of us. Yeah, we're the church. We, we must gather together. We, we inherently know this. The church is God's gathered people. But we also must scatter. We exist as a gathering to draw more into the gathering, more into the family. We exist for our non-members. We have to go out and, in, and invite them into the new life we've received in Jesus. I think most of us hear that and go, yeah, yes and amen. I, I get that. I see that. It's, it's a powerful reminder. Yeah. I mean, most of us just probably wouldn't argue with what I've said up until this point. It's pretty approachable. <laughs> Even in the valley. <laughs> I think the disconnect and the question arises tonight of basically this. Yeah, I get it. I, I, I assent to that idea. So, so what, how? What, what, what actually needs to happen? I mean, if, if we're being honest, for most of us, this is not our default experience of church and faith. I'm willing to bet, in fact, that most of us are not often experiencing the kind of gathering we read about and imagine in the early church. And I know from discussion that a lot of us, a lot of us, are not regularly living this sort of super bold, sent, proclaim the gospel to the lost all around us kind of life. I don't say that to be negative, to, to pick on you guys. I know, I know most of us desire these things. 
Most of us are seeking to grow in our faith and experience real community. And, and most of us have a desire to be obedient and be on mission. It just often just kind of feels like it falls short of the mark. So, so what do we actually do? Or is this just a pep talk of me talking about some ideal of church life that we can all easily sit in this room and amen and then just leave here and do nothing differently? Let me do this to kind of help us land the plane. I want to present an image that I think will help us connect with the sort of life that I think the scripture is actually calling us to as the church. So I want to take a minute, and this is kind of how we're going to end it, and I'm going to talk about castles and football. And uh, here's what I mean by that. I think often we experience our church life more like a castle than we do like football. And I know that's, this is cheesy, but you just got to stick with me. Hopefully this will actually, actually help us land there. You see, imagine in your mind like old school, like an English castle, right? like princess, dragon, knights in shining armor, castle. You can grab all of your people, and if things go bad, you can retreat and hide behind a big stone wall, and you can pull up your drawbridge, and you can fill your moat with alligators and water and spikes, and you are protected from the mean, mean outside world. (laughs) When you want to engage that outside world, You can rally your troops, throw it on the drawbridge, run out and pillage a village, get the resources you need, and then run back and pull the drawbridge back up again. In a castle, you build a community around shared protection and separation. It is us and it is them. Your gathering protects you from the outside world in a castle. I think a lot of us if we're honest, especially if we maybe grew up in church world, we can experience church like this. We, we get together with other believers and we live out this, this sort of Christian culture because it's safe from the influence and evils of the world. And so we buy into Christian media and Christian subculture and Christian community for the purpose of protecting ourselves, protecting our family, protecting our children from the mean, outside, lost world. And by the way, there is some truth to this. The world we live in can be brutal. And we should do our best to care for one another and care for and protect our children and those who are, who are weak around us. This isn't, this isn't one of those things where I'm just saying, oh man, if you've done this, if you've fallen prey to this, let's rally the troops and separate ourselves and stay safe. It's not as though that comes from some heart of evil or some heart of selfishness. It's, it's something that's a really natural reaction to the world we live in. But I want to encourage you to think about another image that I think is just more beneficial for the kind of kingdom life I'm talking about. If you've ever played football or you enjoy football, then you know that before most of the plays, the offensive line goes into a huddle. Uh, Back when I played football, I know you can tell I'm a star athlete, uh, but my, my role, I played the center, so part of my role was to call 
the huddle to make sure the whole offensive line and offensive players were present and were paying attention. Now, the quarterback leads the huddle. It's, it's his show, but the center calls the huddle, and he's kind of the enforcer to smack people on the head and, and make sure they're paying attention. Here's, here's what I love about the huddle. The huddle is so important, but it is not the game of football. The huddle is the place for the team to gather and agree on a plan and encourage and admonish one another and then go out and put the plan into action. In the sort of huddles I was in, in a matter of just a few seconds, the quarterback would call out failures from the last play and he would encourage success and then call a new play and we would clap our hands and go out and do it. It just takes a moment, but it unites the entire team around the plan. And real quick, by the way, in my analogy here, here the lost world is not the defensive players. Uh, not like we're going to beat them up. The, the, the lost world is the end zone. It's, it's the goal of where the team is heading. The team is meeting to put together a plan to get there. They go out and they try the plan and they do their best and then they huddle again. And they evaluate. Did it work? What, what do we do wrong? What do we do right? What do we do next? And they go and they try another plan. I think this is a valuable picture of church life. Guys, we must gather. It's part of the deal. It's part of our identity. We must disciple each other. We must proclaim the gospel to one another. But we also must jump out of the huddle and go to seek and save the lost together. Guys, God is making his appeal through us, through the church. We talked about this last week. God does not need you to advance his kingdom. If he wants someone to receive salvation, he can show up in a vision and a dream and a miracle and draw them into his kingdom without you ever saying a word to them. He can do that, and he does do that. But he's invited us into the experience. He set aside his church, us, as the plan A of that mission to go and take his gospel to those who need it. Why would we... Why would, we, why would we miss out on that? Why would we walk away from that invitation? It's, it's such an exciting invitation. It's such an amazing thing we've been invited into. So, how does this practically affect our church, our individual lives? Guys, it comes down to this. I'm saying this over and over each week, but I want you to hear this. Red Tree is a local church like any other. What we're reading about in Acts 13, in Hebrews, and 2 Corinthians, these things apply to our faith family, here and now. We not just can, but we must seek to do these things in our gatherings. When you read about what God is doing in the church, was doing in the church in Acts, or the church in Corinth, or the, the, the church that the Hebrews was written to, like you can hear those words. You can hear those instructions. God is still moving through local churches just like those. 
The culture, the times, a lot of things have changed, but the gospel and the church have not. Guys, when in our gatherings, and I'm telling you this is your pastor, on Sunday in our gospel communities, we're just going to do our best to, to create space to proclaim the gospel into each other's lives. To, to create space where we can disciple one another, where we can be in the word together, where we can challenge each other to real confession, real repentance, real dependence on Jesus. We're going to do our best. If you are not experiencing that in our gathering, in our gospel community, speak to me and Craig, speak to the elders. We are going to do our best to create these environments. But you want to talk about the practical step to actually experiencing what we're talking about is stepping into those spaces in obedience and participating. Jump into a community or a discipleship group or a weekend gathering and pray with other believers and and confess to other believers and study the word with other believers and seek the spirit with other believers and talk about the mission with other believers. Participate. We, We will do our best to create that environment. But if you want to participate in it, You have to choose to do so. We must must be seeking Jesus together. You know, sometimes this will look like these formal commissioning of missionaries, just like we read about in Acts 13. I think that's one of the coolest parts about this, right, is there's this formal commissioning. They, They lay hands and the whole church prays in authority and sends these men out in the authority of Jesus and the authority of their church. And, you know, we get to do that every now and then. We were part of the team that got to help send the Heinz onto the mission field in the authority of Jesus to go and preach the gospel in a place that we can't even know where it is. That's cool. And we have two of our graduated seniors right now who went away to school to go study theology and prepare to go on the mission field. That's really cool. I hope and I pray that our church gets to lay hands on them and commission them and send them to the work of the kingdom. That's beautiful and that's amazing. And when we have opportunities to operate in that official capacity, we will absolutely do that. But church, we have to scatter. We will do our best to create environments where we talk about the mission where we talk about the gospel, where we encourage you in the truth of the gospel, where we proclaim the gospel, where if those who are lost are present, they will hear the gospel and hear invitations. We will, we will do our best to create safe and inviting and bold environments where those things will happen in our gatherings and in our gospel communities. And, and, and you can hear that from me. If that's not happening, I want to I hear about that. But ultimately... We as the church have to leave this place and go and be in the presence of the lost. Whether they live in our house or they live in our neighborhood or they work with us or they do some hobby with us or they go to our school, we must leave the gathering and be in the presence of lostness and death and proclaim the gospel. That is the way 
that the gospel moves forward is when God's people in obedience take the gospel message with them to people that need to hear it. And I guarantee there are people that God has specifically put in your life that they might hear the gospel from you. I guarantee it. That doesn't mean he's not sovereign. That doesn't mean he's not going to work in that person's heart and draw them to him when he's ready. But, but, but he has put you there and given you the privilege. We, we've, we've got to actually operate and walk in obedience. When, when you gather together, man, spend time praying for the lost people in your circle of influence. Ask each other to, to, to hold each other accountable. Talk about your experiences in work and in school and in your neighborhood and in your family, sharing the gospel and encourage one another and hold one another accountable and pray over each other and create spaces of invitation. We have to be in that together. If you want to participate in the scattering of the church, it's, it's an actual, real, literal, your life choice to participate in something that God has included you in. To begin praying over people in your life who you can share the gospel with. Praying over them daily and regularly. Asking your pastors to pray over them with you and pray over your relationship with them. Asking God to give you opportunities to share your story and share your life with them. Asking for God to create opportunities where you can be hospitable to them and share meals and share pleasurable events and share family time so that you can grow in relationship and actually have the capital to share your life with them and share the life of Jesus with them. It's something you have to just say you're going to be obedient and make a choice to do your best to participate in it. Guys, I hope that doesn't feel like I'm just beating you up and telling you to do more. It's not what I'm saying at all. The reality is, the gospel is a gift of grace. We are no longer regarded according to our sin, according to our weakness, according to our failures. We are regarded according to the righteousness of Jesus. What good news. But I do, I do as your pastor, I hope and I pray that we become, that we are the people of God gathering and scattering to make the gospel visible, walking in obedience to fully participate in the life of the church. And I know that each one of us, regardless of how spiritually mature or immature you are, regardless of where you are in your faith journey, that there is a next step of obedience for each of us, for you and for me. And I hope and I pray that stuff like this helps encourage and invite you to take the next step of obedience. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to take a few minutes just to reflect on this. And here's what I want to ask you to do is in this space, I just want you to find some space for you to be alone with Jesus for a moment. And if you can do that in your chair, that is fine. If you, if you want to find some space to get on your knees and pray, if that's not embarrassing to you, you go right ahead. We're family. It's all good. If you need a pastor to pray over you, there's a couple of us here tonight. Me and Craig are around. We're available. You can grab us if you need just a person to pray with you to help you 
put words to what God's telling you, but I want to encourage you to take a few moments and be with Jesus tonight. And I want you to just really simply ask him what I just asked you. What is your next step of obedience? What is the next step that Jesus has for you to walk forward in deeper intimacy, deeper obedience, deeper dependence on him? Ask him that. Ask him that honestly and just sit. See what he tells you. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to give space for you guys to meet with Jesus. When the time seems right, I'll close us in prayer. And Chris will sing a song over us. And then we'll end our time with communion. Jesus, thank you so much for the gift of your gospel, the gift of your love. Thank you for how you care for us.